Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. This is an apostrophe podcast production. We regret to inform you, the Rejection Podcast. I went from Green Bay training camp to working at a grocery store. In a matter of weeks, it just seemed to all fall apart. Kurt Warner. In the Warner household in the 1970s, Sundays were a sacred day. Young Kurt Warner and his brothers would huddle on the couch to watch that week's slate of football games, beginning at 1 p.m. and ending at 8. At 8.01, Warner would then run up to his bedroom to grab his jersey. And by jersey, I mean a t-shirt with a number on the back. The t-shirt didn't have a name above the number, so he'd take a roll of masking tape rip off little pieces, and use them to write the last name of whichever player scored the most touchdowns that day. Then he'd throw it on and head outside to reenact the highlights. So when his mother peeked out the window, sometimes she'd see Joe Namath, Bart Starr, Ken Stabler, or Roger Staubach tossing spirals in the front yard. Warner says all he wanted to do was be one of those Super Bowl-winning players, to emulate their throwing motions, their passes, and memorize their movements. Then one afternoon, 
on a Sunday just like the others. The final whistle blew, and Warner sprinted upstairs to grab the masking tape. When he paused, he ran through the roster of star players in his mind to tape to his t-shirt. Lenny Dawson, Steve Largent, Charlie Joyner. Then he settled on a name he'd never worn before. He started ripping up the masking tape and stuck on the letters one by one. W-A-R-N-E-R. Kurt Warner was born in the summer of 1971 in Burlington, Iowa. His parents divorced when he was just four years old, and his mother took on two jobs to support her sons. After school, Warner and his brothers would grab a beat-up football and head down the street to challenge the neighborhood kids to a game. A game that, more often than not, would be played in a blustery field with an end zone carved out in the snow. They'd pretend they were the Dallas Cowboys and would head home for dinner only when it got too dark to see the football or when they could no longer feel their fingers, whichever came first. If Warner couldn't convince anyone to play with him that day, he'd practice throwing on his own. When Warner turned 10, he came downstairs on Christmas morning to find a rather large box under the tree with his name on it. Inside was a Dallas Cowboys regulation helmet. From that day on, that helmet became an extension of Warner. He'd stare at himself in the mirror, dreaming of one day wearing it under scorching stadium lights. Warner took part in anything and everything remotely related to the sport. In grade five, he joined a flag football league that, despite being free to join and without funding for actual uniforms, won the championship two years in a row. By their third consecutive winning season, they were denied a trophy, told it was unfair to the other teams. By middle school, Warner started playing tackle football. He says he was a little chubby, which made him the perfect wide receiver a position he'd played many times in the snow. So, by the following year, when it was time to apply to the Regis High School football team, the budding wide receiver knew exactly which position to go for. But when he got to tryouts, the coach separated the boys into their desired positions. Then he stepped back, puzzled, and made an announcement. Not a single boy standing in front of him wanted to be a quarterback. And this was a problem. So he lined up each varsity hopeful, from kickers to receivers, and instructed them to each throw the ball. Whoever threw it farthest would become quarterback. Warner said it was the first competition in his entire life that he didn't want to win. Well, 14-year-old Warner threw the ball, and it spiraled across the field well past all the others. So it was settled. He was reluctantly, begrudgingly, crowned QB. Now, Warner says he can neither confirm nor deny that tears were shed that day. 
All those nights he'd spent in the front yard wearing his Dallas Cowboys helmet, he pictured himself skillfully avoiding hits and scoring touchdowns to the tune of 70,000 cheering fans. Now, he'd be the guy who stood in the pocket, got hit, and let everyone else score. The worst had happened. Warner says everything about being a quarterback went against his natural instincts. Still in the mindset of a receiver, he spent most of his time scanning the field for escape routes until his frustrated coach stepped in. To force Warner's brain into the QB mindset and face his fears of getting hit, the coach came up with a special drill. He called it Kill Kurt. Basically, Warner just got pummeled over and over and over again. Warner says today, that drill would get a coach fired, and he cannot overstate how much he hated it. But in that fall of 1985, it taught him how to get knocked down, but more importantly, how to get back up again. Suffice to say, his first season as quarterback was a bit of a disaster. But over time, Warner says he really started falling in love with the position, He liked being a leader and having his hands on every single play. Over the following seasons, Warner's hand-eye coordination began improving, and so did his confidence. And by the end of his senior year, Warner led the team with a 7-2 record, all the way to the state playoffs. They lost in the first round, but Warner was named All-State, best quarterback in Iowa. And suddenly, his dreams of pursuing sports as a career started seeming possible, nay, plausible. He said all he needed to play on a college team was someone who believed in him. And he knew the best person for the job. The most revered figure in local football. A man known as the King of Iowa. The King of Iowa, or Hayden Fry, was the University of Iowa's renowned football coach, a real pillar of the Iowa football community, and someone you'd only hope knows your name. And one day, toward the end of Warner's senior year of high school, Fry sent him a letter. Warner says he was beyond excited to unfold the note on gold-trimmed University of Iowa stationery. It was an invitation to watch a Hawkeyes game, get a tour of the stadium, and afterward, meet the king. So, the next Saturday, Warner and his mom made the half-hour drive to the university's campus in Iowa City, all the while Warner fantasizing about what Fry might say. Maybe something like, Kurt, you're an all-state quarterback with major potential and we'd like to offer you a full ride to the University of Iowa and groom you to become the next Joe Montana. So, after the tour in the game, Warner was escorted to a seating area near the team's locker room, where a group of other fidgety potential recruits were waiting. After a few minutes in the waiting room, pretending not to be intimidated, the door flung open. And there he was, the king. The room went silent, and Fry started heading directly for Warner. When the legend got within a couple feet of him, 
Warner decided he would shake his hand and introduce himself, make a great first impression. But before Warner could extend his arm, Fry walked right past him. It was as if Warner didn't exist, and Fry went on to schmooze what felt like every other person in the room except him. After a long and silent drive home, Warner decided he hadn't lost all hope. He was named top quarterback in the whole state. Maybe he'd still get another letter inviting him to a practice. But it never came. Fry went on to sign a quarterback from Iowa City, one who was taller and bigger than Warner. The only other state school with a decent football program was Iowa State. But Warner says they too didn't give him the time of day. The rejections wore heavy on Warner, like regulation shoulder pads he couldn't take off. He felt his options dwindling. Maybe a career in football wasn't so plausible after all. Soon it became clear that a Division I school was out of the question for Warner. The best he could hope for was Division II, and even that wasn't looking promising. The flag on his mailbox hadn't gone up in a while, until one day when a purple envelope arrived from the University of Northern Iowa. UNI was a Division I AA school, which meant it was part of the football championship subdivision, sort of a second tier of Division I. Warner said it was the next best thing. UNI offered Warner a partial scholarship. Across the board, it was the discount version of everything he wanted. But he wasn't in a position to be choosy, so Warner accepted. The next step in his NFL dream had come true. He'd made a college team. Before heading to campus, he had one last high school-level game to play. It was an all-star event featuring the top players in the state. Before the warm-up, a man approached Warner and a few of his teammates and pulled them aside. He told them not to get their hopes up about their football futures, stressing that less than 2% of them would even make it to an NFL training camp. He cautioned them to manage their expectations. It wasn't exactly a motivational speech. After the game, a family friend asked Warner, so what are you going to do when you're done with football? He stared back at her, confused, then said, I'm going to be part of the 2%. In Warner's first year at the University of Northern Iowa, he was redshirted. He sat on the bench on home turf and wasn't invited to away games. The next year went by, and Warner became the second-string quarterback. Still on the bench, but honestly, he says he couldn't even be that angry, because the starting quarterback was simply better than he was. But another year went by, then another, and Warner still wasn't playing. And soon, he was only eligible to play one more season. One season where he could get noticed by NFL teams— One season would make or break his dreams. So he put all his energy into becoming stronger, both physically and mentally, 
And over time, even the first-string quarterback told Warner that he should really be the one under the lights. But yet, he wasn't. Warner was starting to get frustrated. A few times, his coaches would tell him in no uncertain terms that they were going to play him that game, then change their minds at the last minute. He says QB1 kept on winning, and he kept on sitting. It was absolutely demoralizing. He wondered if he should transfer to another school for the remainder of his final year. Maybe another coach would give him some playing time. His coach's lack of confidence in his abilities was crushing, and he says he hit rock bottom. He went home to his parents and told them he wanted to quit. But they both gave him the same speech, almost verbatim, to follow through on his commitment. And if he never, ever played, at least he'd still get an education. He decided to take their advice. But if he was going to stay, he'd have to do something different. So Warner asked the coaches to tell him why he wasn't playing. Their answer? He wasn't a very good practice player. This frustrated Warner even more. Why did practice matter more than games? He knew he had become the strongest quarterback on the team. If they didn't let him onto the field, they'd have no idea what he was capable of. But instead of writing them off, Warner decided to take the 30,000-foot view. In college, a player, if they're lucky, plays 10 games per season. But the entire rest of the year is spent in practice. So if he wasn't performing his best with his best attitude and meeting his coach's expectations in practice, why should they trust him to deliver on the field? Practice was his biggest opportunity. So he started holding himself accountable. And in turn, he started winning practice games. And soon, players on his team started pressuring the coaches to sub in the second-string quarterback. By his final year of eligibility, Warner became the starting quarterback for the University of Northern Iowa Panthers. They won eight of their nine regular season games. And with Warner at the helm, the Panthers made their way to the Division I AA playoffs, where Warner was voted Conference Offensive Player of the Year. Eventually, they lost to an undefeated team. And Warner can neither confirm nor deny, quote, crying his eyes out in the locker room. Knowing he would never play another college game in his life was overwhelming. But even more overwhelming was knowing one season's worth of playing time at a Tier 2 school wouldn't be enough to impress NFL teams. Every year, a scouting showcase takes place in Indianapolis, where college football players get a chance to perform physical and mental tests in front of NFL decision-makers. Warner says it's basically a giant meat market of pro-prospects that's invitation only. Well, Warner wasn't invited. The next best opportunity to get noticed would take place down in Mississippi, at what Warner describes as an all-star game for fringe players like himself, looking to sneak onto an NFL team. 
But when he got there, it was bad. Like, really bad. Players had to pay their own way. Warner says no scouts bothered to show up to the games, and there were more members of the marching band present than there were people in the stands. It was a waste of time and money. His last hope of getting noticed was if an NFL team came to his school to watch him play and run him through a private workout. It was a long shot. But to his utter surprise, coaches from four major teams came to watch him throw. Atlanta, Cincinnati, Tampa Bay, and Green Bay. Warner could only hope one of those four teams would call his name come draft day. In late April 1994, the NFL held its seven-round draft. Warner knew his chances were slim, especially on day one of the draft, when the first three rounds took place. But on day two, he drove to his mom's house and paced back and forth in front of the television set. He says the living room was dead silent most of the day, apart from his footsteps on the creaky floor. By nightfall, it was official. No teams had drafted Kurt Warner. Now he was an undrafted free agent. Then the phone rang. Four teams were willing to offer Warner a place in their training camps. Essentially, it was an opportunity to be evaluated by the coaches. If he made a good impression, he'd be offered a spot on the practice squad and a contract. Tampa Bay and Cincinnati made offers without pay. But Green Bay and San Diego each offered him $5,000. That was a lot of money for Warner, so it came down to those two. Warner heard that San Diego had offered four other quarterbacks spots in their training camp, which made his chances of making the actual team even more slim. However, Green Bay hadn't invited any other quarterbacks to their camp. They did already have first, second, and third string QBs on their roster. QB1 was Brett Favre. Intimidating. Still, Warner decided Green Bay was the better option. He took his signing bonus and spent it on a down payment on a 93 GMC two-door Jimmy. It was green because, well, Green Bay. He took masking tape and, just like he'd done as a kid, wrote Go Packers on his graduation cap. He was living his childhood dream. He hopped in his jimmy and drove six hours to Green Bay, Wisconsin. Warner's first introduction to the Green Bay Packers was eye-opening. He walked into the locker room and was fitted for shoes, then offered as many pairs as he wanted. Warner says that in college, the only way they'd ever consider giving you a replacement pair of shoes is if the hole in the bottom got big enough. In Packers territory, he watched players snap their fingers requesting new pairs of gloves and presto, freshly unboxed equipment would appear. Suddenly, he was around men, not boys. They were physically strong and mentally sharp. Yet, even in the first week, Warner felt like he could hold his own. 
He had a strong arm. He wasn't totally out of his league. Then he was handed the playbook, and it was about the size of a phone book. And he was expected to memorize each and every one. It was a mammoth task, one he thought required a lot more time than he was given. He struggled to remember the plays. Come their first exhibition game, Warner wasn't called upon, and the same thing happened in game two. And just two weeks into training camp, it became clear. It wasn't a matter of whether or not he'd be cut. It was a matter of when. And sure enough, before the third exhibition game, the Packers sent Warner packing. Warner had always assumed the players who got cut from major teams were cut because they were bad. But he came to realize that wasn't the case at all. Warner says he was no Brett Favre, but even against those experienced quarterbacks, he says he could have been a strong choice. He just never got the chance to prove himself. He was devastated and suddenly saddled with car payments and no way to pay them. Giving up on football wasn't an option, so he set his sights on NFL Europe, which was sort of a farm league for the NFL that simultaneously drummed up the sport's popularity overseas. He was optimistic. The Packers coach was gracious enough to write him a glowing letter of recommendation, and people in the know told him it was in the bag. But Warner was rejected, completely passed over. Now he was starting to panic. He needed income. Stat. With no money for rent, Warner moved into his girlfriend's parents' basement in Iowa. It was unfinished. There was only one room, which he would share with his girlfriend Brenda and her two children. It was dark times. Literally. The concrete room had no windows. They started living off food stamps. Brenda was a nurse, working day shifts to pay off her student loans, which meant Warner was in charge of watching the kids all day. So if he wanted a job, he knew it only meant one thing. Night shift. He applied to a few hotels in the area to man the front desk, but they weren't hiring. So he dropped off his resume at the Hy-V, a 24-hour grocery store and he started stocking shelves. Hold that thought. We'll be right back. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. 
Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with plushcare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Warner says going from an NFL camp where you're treated like a king and looking at the prospect of a six-figure contract to stocking shelves for $5.50 an hour is about as humbled as one can get. Given that it was his home state, people would often come in that knew him and go out of their way to appear as though they didn't take pity on him. Word around town was that Kurt Warner was a has-been, his name tag may as well have read, Loser. Working at the Hy-Vee was more difficult than he had anticipated. For one, his hands were too big to handle small goods, like tiny cans of mushrooms. There was a Nerf football display, where Warner could often be found lurking, keeping his throwing arm sharp. When those sold out, he tossed cans around the store and said his bosses didn't mind they too took pity on the sad has-been quarterback. He would tell people he was hoping for another NFL tryout and watch as their eyes didn't match their smiles. He had gotten a few calls to play in the brand-new Iowa Barnstormers, which was his local arena league, a high-scoring, low-brow, indoor version of football. But Warner wasn't interested, He saw it as a huge step backwards. The fear of the unknown started getting the best of Warner. He had no idea what lay ahead, and he started picturing the worst. He said, trust me, no NFL scout comes running into the supermarket at 3 a.m. to look for their next QB. Then, one evening, he picked up a cereal box. When Warner was stocking shelves on aisle seven, he opened up a case of Wheaties cereal, and on the side of each box was famed Miami Dolphins quarterback, Dan Marino. As Warner placed each box onto the shelf, he noticed Marino's eyes seemed to follow him around the store, like the Mona Lisa. Warner says it was almost as if Marino was asking, Are you going to spend your life stocking someone else's cereal boxes? Or are you going to step out and make sure someone else is stocking yours? 
two nights later, Warner was driving with Brenda next to him and her two children in the back seat when the car ran out of gas. The very Green Bay Green Jimmy he'd bought when he was so certain he was going to be an NFL superstar. So there they sat on the side of the road in the dead of winter. The four of them began rummaging through the car, hoping to find some spare change between the seats that might just buy them enough gas to get home. As Warner walked to the nearest gas station with no more than a couple dimes in his hand, he thought, my family deserves better. And that day, he vowed to make a change. The next time the Arena League called Warner to persuade him to join marked his six-month anniversary at the grocery store, and he knew what to do. This time, he'd accept their offer and become the Iowa Barnstormers' first-string quarterback. It was a steep departure from the fancy Green Bay Packers territory he'd gotten used to. In fact, when he arrived, it was just a little astroturf and a wobbly set of bleachers. But Warner signed a contract where he'd earn $1,000 per game, and maybe more depending on how well he played. Compared to stocking shelves for minimum wage, he felt like he'd hit the big time. His first game, Warner says, he was lousy. But by game two, he was back in the zone. They won, 69-61, and Warner was named game MVP. And in no time they'd made it to the playoffs. By 1997, Warner had played three seasons for the Barnstormers. He'd thrown for 183 touchdowns and over 10,000 yards. He led the team to the championship two years in a row, and he and Brenda got married. Warner was happy playing for the Barnstormers. He'd become a local Iowa celebrity, and it got him out of Brenda's parents' basement. But his ultimate goal of playing for an NFL team hadn't been extinguished. So when he got a long-distance call from Amsterdam, he was intrigued. An NFL Europe team called the Amsterdam Admirals was interested in recruiting Warner. Remember, the European League acted as a farm league for the NFL it had the potential to get him a step closer to his ultimate dream. But on the other hand, he had a family in Iowa, and moving to Amsterdam would mean giving up his first-ever steady football gig. So after consulting with Brenda, Warner told the admirals he would only accept their offer under one condition, if they could guarantee to get him in front of an NFL team. He had to know uprooting his family would be worth it. So the Admiral's management began contacting NFL teams. The first one said no. The second one said no. Then they had five no's, seven, then 11 teams rejected Warner. But then there was number 12. The St. Louis Rams said they were willing to offer Warner a tryout meaning they'd essentially watch him play for the Admirals, then consider taking him on. 
something major teams will sometimes do in the off chance they'll unearth a diamond in the rough. And with that, Warner was off to Amsterdam. In his time with the Amsterdam Admirals, Warner led the league in yardage, attempts, completions, and touchdowns. He said it was the best he'd ever played. Well, the St. Louis Rams thought so too. They decided to bring him back to the U.S. to discuss becoming their third-string quarterback. Finally, three years after being cut from the Packers and becoming a small-town has-been, Warner was getting another chance at an NFL career. This time, he couldn't mess it up. At the time, the St. Louis Rams had a bad reputation. They'd lost the most games of any NFL team in the previous decade. They were dead last in the league and a laughing stock. So naturally, they were looking to shake things up. When Warner arrived in St. Louis, he went straight into his first workout with the team. And as it turned out, they'd invited another quarterback to that same workout to compete with Warner for the third-string position. Great. Warner braced himself for yet another rejection. But a short while later, the Rams called Warner, and they offered him a contract. Still no signing bonus and no guaranteed money. It was yet another opportunity disguised as a test. But on December 23, 1998, Warner officially became the third-string quarterback for the St. Louis Rams. He said it was the best Christmas present he'd ever received. In his first year playing for the Rams, Warner played only one game and threw just 11 passes total. He says there wasn't much for him to do around there, except he did have one job, breakfast duty. As the rookie, Warner had to bring breakfast to the first and second string quarterbacks every Friday. Then later that same year, the Rams did a little shuffling. The second-string quarterback was signed by another team, thrusting Warner into the backup role. A huge step forward. But the Rams also signed a brand-new QB1 in a $16 million four-year deal. His name was Trent Green, and he came from the Washington Redskins. It was good news for the Rams, but bad news for Kurt Warner. He figured now he'd never play. They started the 1999 preseason with Warner on the bench. Then, disaster struck. Trent Green fumbled the ball and tore a ligament in his knee. He was out for the season. Suddenly, the Rams went into panic mode. Management held an emergency team meeting. The coach said, we're going to bring in a veteran quarterback. Warner swallowed hard. Another rejection, overlooked yet again. Then the coach continued. He said, But that veteran quarterback will be a backup. 
Warner, you're the guy now. I expect you to play well. Remember, Warner had only ever thrown 11 NFL passes his entire career. He felt a wave of disappointment wash over the Rams' locker room. Some players even saying out loud that the franchise must have been cursed. Everything was riding on this game. That first game would prove his abilities to his teammates, to the franchise, and to himself. After years being rejected and underestimated, this was it. He slid on his helmet and stepped onto the field. Warner won his first exhibition game by 17 points. And he says back in the locker room, he could hear his teammates exhale. Maybe they weren't cursed after all. But there was still an entire season ahead. The media tore Warner to shreds. They couldn't believe St. Louis subbed in a nobody. They declared the Rams done giving them 250 to 1 odds of winning the Super Bowl. Even people Warner had played with in the past came out of the woodwork to say negative things about his prospects. There were naysayers coming at him from all angles. But Warner put his head down. He made a pact with himself to stay focused and take control of the team. His confidence on the field became palpable, and from that moment on, He says all doubt left the eyes of his teammates. Warner led the Rams to a 13-3 regular season record and straight to the playoffs for the first time in over a decade. With Warner at the helm, they dominated in the playoffs, propelling the Rams straight to the Super Bowl for the first time in 20 years. He called his mother She said, Kurt, you're going to be in the Super Bowl tomorrow. You've dreamt of this forever. He boarded a plane to Atlanta, and there, in the Georgia Dome, Kurt Warner, an undrafted player his first NFL starting season, led the Rams to its first championship in franchise history, beating the Tennessee Titans 23-16, to the tune of 70,000 cheering fans. Warner was named both league and Super Bowl MVP. They'd gone from worst to first. It was called the greatest show on turf, a true Cinderella season. But Warner says he doesn't love that name. He's the big bad wolf. After all the rejection, all the stages of his career where he was underestimated, all the plot twists, and all the night shifts at the Hy-Vee grocery store, he finally proved all the naysayers wrong. And the boy who cut out pieces of masking tape to write his own name on a makeshift jersey 25 years earlier saw his name appear on the backs of young fans' jerseys all across the country. W-A-R-N-E-R. (music) 
This is a story about detours. The path to success is never a straight line. It's littered with hurdles, stiff arms, and hard blocks. Some of those detours take you so far away from your goal that it can become disheartening. When no team would take Kurt Warner, he had to take massive detours on the way to his dream. Detours that took him to second-tier college teams. Detours that took him to Europe. Detours that resulted in getting cut from an NFL team. Detours that led to arena football. Detours that led to the graveyard shift at a grocery store. But in each of those diversions, he honed his skills and learned something about himself at each stop. Even though it didn't feel like it at the time, getting cut from the Packers was a gift. Quarterback Brett Favre never missed a single game in his entire career, right up to his retirement. So if Warner had stayed with Green Bay, he would have never played. The moment in the grocery store when he stared at Dan Marino's face on the cereal box was the moment he decided to refocus his life. Playing in Europe and in the Arena Football League gave him invaluable experience in pressure-packed games. He learned how to handle plays that came right down to the wire. Each of those detours that seemed light years from his goal helped shape Kurt Warner. And all those rejections were necessary. As Warner himself admits, he wouldn't have been prepared for his big chance if it had come any earlier. He needed those detours to be ready to join the 2%. When Kurt Warner was being inducted into the Football Hall of Fame in 2017, he looked out at the audience and summed up the truism that all of us have to face. He said, Sometimes you gotta do what you gotta do while you're waiting to do what you were born to do. It just takes a detour or two. Never, ever give up. Curtis Eugene Warner, Seasons in the NFL, 12. Super Bowl appearances, 3. NFL MVP awards, 2. Fastest quarterback in history to throw 10,000 yards, 36 games. Pro Hall of Fame induction, 2017. Movie about his career called American Underdog, coming soon. Married to Brenda, 24 years. The Rejection Podcast is an apostrophe podcast production and is recorded in an Airstream mobile recording studio. This series is hosted and written by me, Sydney O'Reilly. Research, Allison Pinches. Director, Callie O'Reilly. Engineer, Jeff Devine. Producer, Debbie O'Reilly. We regret to inform you our theme music is by Ian Lefevre and Ari Posner. Major sources for this episode are listed in the show notes on our website apostrophepodcasts.ca slash rejection. Follow us on social at apostrophepod. If you enjoyed this episode, you might also like Rejecting Fred Van Vliet, 
Season 1, Episode 19. This series is executive produced by Terry O'Reilly. See you next time. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. I'm being completely honest now, okay? Homelessness makes me uncomfortable. But then I think, at least it's not sleeping on the sidewalk with everything I own uncomfortable. Don't let homelessness assumptions get in the way of homelessness solutions. Go to canadacandoit.ca. Help the Canadian Alliance to End Homelessness.